Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No. No, sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. <laughs> sibling rivalry. That's good. Oliver. Sibling rivalry. Pee pee. Pee Gotta um, harmonize. Gotta harmonize on that. You know, one. I've never been good at har. I can't figure it well, out. Because Why? It's, it's, I, it's I always want to match. I, yeah, that's what happens. That's the hard thing about harmonizing. Yeah. Here, you start singing like, like, like just like be. No, no, no. Sing like oh. yesterday. Yesterday, all, all my, my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. <laughs> I was doing terrible, too. I was like, what am I doing? I was like, where am I going with this harmony? Or do Blackbird. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life. Hold on. Hold on. What's the harmony, babe? You were only. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Ready? Go. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. 
Blackbird fly, blackbird fly into the light of the cold dark night. <laughs> we gotta work on it. I need to work on my harmonies. What's happening here? Okay, Ollie, um, this is our first episode of the season. Yeah. And we have I'm seasons really, now. I'm excited about our seasons. We got picked up for another season. <laughs> we picked ourselves up. <laughs> we picked up. ourselves up. <laughs> That's right. It's the beauty of uh, oh, being I love your own it. network. I- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's true. And so we picked ourselves up. Here we are. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have some amazing people this season. Mm-hmm. And, and we're um, kicking it off with... One of my favorites I think oh we've ever gosh. done. Me too. Ron and Clint Howard, we... First of all, I didn't even realize that they were related. I know you didn't. I did. You knew. I yeah. didn't know that they were related, yeah. which is weird because we've known... Sure. I've, we've known Ron Howard and then you show our whole And then lives. you see who Clint Howard is and you're like, oh, this like, is the guy in every movie Every ever. movie that you've right, ever, ever seen. seen. Yeah. And... Um, and it was it was so nice to get to know them as siblings. It was like really kind of a wonderful hour and a half that we had. We've known Ron Howard since we were kids. Mm-hmm. He directed Backdraft with our dad. Uh, Ron Howard is one of the most prolific and talented and legendary directors mm-hmm. with some of the great movies. Yeah. When you one go- of which is one of our favorites, which is Parenthood. Parenthood. Which Amazing. is like hands down one of my favorite. Still movies. to this day, mm-hmm. every piece of that movie is just perfect. It's timeless, really. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And Ron, when you go through his credits, just IMDb him. It's unbelievable. You almost forget what he's done. Yeah. And then you look at it like, oh shit, he did this and this. And I mean, it's crazy. Being a child actor, it's something that him and our pa Kurt have in common, which is really growing up in the business and like getting talking about it from his perspective mm-hmm. and what that was like for him. I mean, it was really, it's really interesting. Oh gosh. Yeah. You and know, Clint he, too, by the way, Clint was also a childhood yeah. star. Yeah. And in those days, obviously there were only how many, Oh my God, there was three networks. Channels. I mean, I mean people, two, you had five channels, CBS, you know, you, ABC. So, yeah. so, so when someone was watching, well, we get into that in the episode, right. Ron, Ron talks about that, but I don't know. I, it was just so fascinating. He's also just the most lovely man. Oh my God. He's the kindest, sweetest, most generous man. I and tried to, you know, pitch myself to him. I want to be, I want him to, <laughs> I want to be in one of his movies. But they also wrote this book together, which is so they great. Did. Yeah. As brothers wrote a book together. It's called The Boys. They were talking about they right how they were sort of memoirs and a shared perspective of their childhood and sort of and their at parents. Them. I know their parents, parents were awesome. so great. I mean, my gosh, what an amazing yeah! Just this free anyway. You'll listen to it, but you know they managed their money and then, but they were all they were beautiful with it. I mean, it was just this. It seemed like this beautiful, yeah, creative were- upbringing. For me, what really happened in this, and I hope it happens to you guys who are listening. I got really inspired by his life story. Mm-hmm. He's so brilliant in in what he does and he absolutely loves it so much. Mm-hmm. You know, when he talks about it and he's talking about making movies and his experiences, it's like you just want to get on a movie set, write a script, start you just want to do it. I know. You know? It was so it was it, it, I wonder for me, what, it was I felt wonder what, sort of I wonder infectious. what Ron Howard is like when 
he's not getting what he wants because he's so sweet and he's so compassionate. <laughs> you should have asked him Do that. you think he would ever be like, God damn it, I, I just want you. I, mean, I, I, I can't see him doing that. I don't that. think that's the way, I, I, think, uh, I think Ron's like even, like Pretty real even Steven. Even Steven. Yeah. So, which to me is such an amazing, uh, like shows so much character, like that, to have that characteristic, to not be reactive. We're also dealing with egos, you know, and actors and all the crap that comes along with that. And, That's true. You know, do you think Steven Spielberg is even Steven? <laughs> <laughs> what happens to the Stevens that aren't even, you know, like there's so many Steven, Steven King. Steven Spielberg is even Steven. Probably even Steven. Glad we had those. Yeah. Okay. Thank. You. Anyway, <laughs> enjoy Ron and Clint Howard. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. How are you? It's so good to see you. <laughs> likewise. Likewise. I kind of forgot it was you uh, doing this. That's fantastic. Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's the best. That's the best thing. I forgot it was you guys. Um, <laughs> What's up, hee hee boy? Hi. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy you guys are doing this, and I, I can't wait to talk about how you grew up and everything because it's just so fascinating, but also just that you wrote a book about being siblings, which is something Oliver and I talk about, which is why we started the podcast, which is that it's a relationship people don't really delve into that much. Well, um, it, yeah, it, you know, it excuse, was, excuse me, excuse me real quick. How, how close are you guys age wise? Uh, th almost three. Yeah. Two and a half. Two, yeah. Two and three quarters. Okay. <laughs> Listen real quick, you know, Ron and I's split of being five years. Okay. For, from my perspective was just beautiful. Because I always looked at him and 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 said, no, I could not kick his ass. I better not try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But I can only imagine if it was only I, I had some friends that had that that their siblings were two years apart. And it was, you know, there was always that little bit of jockey. And yeah. Ron and I just never had it. And some of it has to do with him. What? And some of it has to do with the five-year spread. And so then also go. probably your upbringing and your parents in the way that you were raised. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we didn't set out to write about our our relationship particularly, but of course that inevitably became a part of it, as you you know, as you guys are saying. And uh, uh, but, you know, we, we would fight and, and Clint was tougher than he's given himself credit for uh, to the point where even though I was five years older, every once in a while, I felt like I got to give a little back here because this is I'm feeling this a little more than I should. And uh, and, you know, it would get a little intense and dad would grab us. And, you know, and he'd basically say, look, you guys are brothers. You're always going to be brothers, but you have a chance to be friends for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really something valuable. And I hope you'll hear me and take it seriously and 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 do right by each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I have two I have three kids and my two boys are the oldest and, and they're about two and a half years apart and they do get along. Mm -hmm. But there is one's 14 now and one's 11. So that separation is kind of happening. And I give them the yeah, same yeah. speech when they're getting on each other yeah. or my older one is on top of my little one and not including him. I'm like, look, this is it, you guys. This is it. <laughs> this is this is the most important relationship that you're going to have. And of course, they don't I don't think they hear me because they're like, whatever, dad, you know. 
I think we kind of heard it. I mean, we may not have heard it then, but I think it, you know, it echoes. And that's what I think being a good parent uh, offers. You don't necessarily always get the satisfaction of the, of the, of the acknowledgement at that moment. Right. But, you know, but it seeps in. Yeah. You know, I say, I, I've said this all my life. It, first of all, dad was very methodical when he spoke. And a lot of times I, I you know, it, it, that would drive me crazy, but it wasn't what he said. It was the way he said it. You know, he just, he, he just had that way of, of, of connecting with me. You know, he, he had that way of, of gaining my attention, not in a going to slap you way. Although he did thump. My dad mm-hmm. was a thumper. He, son of a bitch. And it you hurt know, like a son of a bitch. Well, it didn't even really hurt, but it just reverberated around <laughs> in there. Right? You know, and it made you sort of pause and think. And he'd show it. He'd show it. Uh, yeah. He would show it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Well, before we know, get uh, before we get into like, you know, your childhood, why did you guys want to write this book? It's a little bit different. You know what I mean? Writing about being siblings. What, what did it come about? Yeah. A couple things that came together, but you start. Clint. Well, listen, you know, we both have this just amazing amount of love for our parents. I, you know, I, I love my dad so, so amazingly deeply. And, you know, I don't know whether I showed it in, in, in his life. I think I did. I think I was a good son. I was a good son as, you know, to the best of my ability. Um, but, given this opportunity to really lay the cards on the table, to, to lay the truth on the table, you know, so it's not hearsay. It's not, it's not secondhand. Uh, you know, we got to tell the story and it's stories I've been telling to, to anyone who would listen for years. It's just, you know, Ron and I had an opportunity to, to write a book and, you know, writing a book is fun. I, I, I really enjoyed I, it. You know, people have always asked me, um, you know, and Clint, you know, what was it like growing up on TV? What was it like being a child star? You know, that's just just kind of a standard question and, you know, kind of a hard one to answer because I, you know, I, that's my, that's my reality. I don't know anything else, but, um, one day I was hanging around on the, uh, we were shooting or something, uh, uh, somewhere and I was, and I was directing Tom Hanks and he's an author, oh, that guy. And an avid, re- author, <laughs> avid reader. Yeah, that guy. And and I said, Tom, people are coming to me and saying I should do a memoir. Do you? Do you what do you think? I, I'm I'm re- I'm very reluctant. He said, you probably ought to one of these days. But if I were you, I would just do it about your childhood because that's that's what everybody wants to know about, and that's what's really really unusual about your life is that you you know you not only succeeded but you survived. And of course, he liked hearing those stories when we were, whenever, you know, we were hanging out. So when mom passed first, you know, 17 years later, dad passed and we were, we were there, we were at the house in Toluca Lake, you know, preparing for dad's memorial service and uh, which we'd also done for, you know, with dad for mom. But now, you know, now, now there we were uh, looking at photos and so forth and reminiscing a lot about our journey and, and how much they meant to that um, and how brilliant they were at the particulars of kind of raising child actors. And I, and I told Clint what Hanks had told me. And I said, you know, Tom, Tom thinks that's the story. I said, if, if I would never do it on my own, 
to be honest. But if you wanted to do this with me together, I think we could write about them. We could write about mom and dad. And we could also answer that question that we've heard all our lives in an entertaining and honest ways. Um, and that might be very unusual. And I really, from that point forward, I stuck, I really stuck to the idea that, no, I don't want to do it on my own, but I'd love to do it with Clint. And, and when we, when we, you know, we, we, we sat down, we worked on our book proposal, uh, you know, thoroughly for quite a while. When we, when we started to take it around to publishers, I really felt like we were onto something. And I think they, they realized as well, because the big thing was we didn't have to agree on a damn thing because we were going to each contribute to this. And where there were differences, that would be you know interesting to people, I thought. Did you have those moments where your perspectives were just so completely different that it was like, wh what? Yeah, like, different I, perspective of the, of the same of the scenario. Same, yeah. yeah, you know, I think, yeah. I think we had to remind each other from time to time that, you know, it, yes, my chair was completely different. My chair in the late 60s and early 70s I had a completely different view of things than Ron had. Ron was, you know, the, that spread of being, you know, 14 and nine, that was a, that, that was a big spread where Ron was, a, you know, a lot more aware, like, you know, Ron remembers the Charlie Manson murders, Sharon Tate, the Tate Labiaca murders, you know, and that's just a blur to me. I mean, I kind of can vaguely remember the headlines and I remember Steve rails back doing that great TV movie, you know, but I don't remember that, but yet, so Ron, Ron had a, you know, more mature being older. He had a more mature perspective of things. And from time to time, you know, I would remind Ron, Hey bud, I was a little kid at this point, you know? Yeah. And, well, and I was always a little more of a worrier, a little more kind of serious about things feel, you know, and, and, and uh, yeah, there were times, especially there's a, there's a, there's a chapter where we, we write about kind of the only time when we saw real marital friction in our parents and, 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 and it, and it seemed dangerous that it seemed like divorce could, you know, could, could occur. Didn't. And it was only, it was only a day, but to us, it was seismic because <laughs> we just, they didn't fight. We never saw that. Right. And, uh, and, and I remembered that as a really heavy memory. Clint kind of recalls it as a little funny. Yeah. Kind of amusing almost. <laughs> and I was, I was surprised by that, but there are other, you know, other versions of that too. Yeah. Your parents' names, Gene and Rance. Yes. Uh, Rance is such an interesting yeah, name. Is that, is that, is that an Irish <laughs> well, he, thing? He made it up. Okay. He made that name up. <laughs> uh, and, and in the book, we sort of talk a little bit about, we surmise maybe where he might've found it because his given name was Harold Beckenholt. He was a farm boy living in Oklahoma and Kansas. His parents would buy, fix up and sell farms. And that was his childhood. He lived on three different farms back and forth between Kansas and Oklahoma. And it wasn't Ron. Wasn't it actually Aunt Glee, a dad's sister that sort of helped us piece together how he picked the name Rance? Because dad never told us. Dad never, yeah. he, you know, he never said, this is why I, I landed on. He, he, he didn't, he didn't like to talk about it. He didn't like it. If I would even mention to anybody that he had changed his name. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm Rance Howard. I'm acting. I'm out there every day. And I, we don't need to confuse those sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so he changed his name. Your mom was Jean. That, well, that wasn't a change. He was Jean Spiegel. And, and, and he was, he was Harold Beckenhold and they fell in love that way. How did they, they meet? They were teenagers, it, right? Well, they met at, yeah, they met at, my mom had, had gone 
she wanted, she had the acting bug and, and, uh, and she came from a small town, but her, her family was well-regarded. They had, her father was named Butch, Butch Spiegel, because he was the butcher. Um, his real name was Bill, but he, but, but he went by Butch. Uh, and uh, his, her mom was very artistic, very, very creative, great with her hands, but very introverted. Mom had his sort of joie de vivre and, and, uh, um, and he also turned out to be kind of uh, the lovable town drunk in a way. But, uh, but that, you know, that's, that, that's in the DNA there. But the, uh, she had the dream. And, and early enough, at 17, she got accepted at the New York City Academy for Performing Arts, which was a pretty big deal. And she went. The parents they, they let her go right out of high school. And Duncan, Oklahoma was. I a mean, really, Oklahoma. Really I mean, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Well, she had that kind of vision. And look, we didn't give mom enough credit. I mean, we did in the book. It was an opportunity while she was alive. One of my little regrets is I don't think I gave her enough of a of a of a of a sense of my understanding that our family journey had every bit as much to do with her, and they transformed the course of their lineage mm. uh, and the future through their decisions. But she had this impetus. She went, unfortunately, um, six months into her, her work there. Um, she was hit by a truck, nearly died. And, you know, brought, brought back to Duncan. My, my grandmother had a kind of a, uh, you know, a psychic event where she just knew she just woke up in the middle of the night and said, Jean's Jean's in trouble. She's been hurt. Mm. And it turned out that that was just the time she'd been hit by the truck, mm. you know, and she, she got the call Oof. a few hours later. Wow. But um, she came back. She survived. It was touch and go. She survived. And, you know, she still had the dream of acting, but they weren't going to send her to New York anymore. So she went to the University of Oklahoma, which right after World, World War II already had a reputation as a really good theater school, mostly musical theater. Uh, not movies particularly, but they had a good, a good program. They sent her there. And my father um, had had this dream. You know, he grew up, he loved, he, loved, he, he was thought of himself as a cowboy. He wanted to either be a, a heavyweight boxer or a singing cowboy. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he wasn't good enough to be a heavyweight fighter and he couldn't carry a tune, but he had big ideas. And, and his idea his, I mean, so, clearly your parents are perfect for each other. <laughs> yes, well, like, they, right off they, the bat. Yeah. They discovered that pretty well. Anyway, he thought that he would graduate from high school and get on his horse. Lucky. And ride to Los Angeles. Lucky his horse. He would camp along the way. He would ride along the highways. They would follow the same path that uh, you know, that the um that 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 all the Okies followed to try to get to Los Angeles. That's great. And and he would ride his horse there and ride down Hollywood Boulevard and so show those sons of bitches what a real cowboy looked like. <laughs> and, um, and that was what he was going to do. And his, his, he didn't have a great relationship with his father, uh, who mostly wanted him as the oldest son to stick around and, and, and run the farm. But no, his mom understood, but said, I don't think riding the horse to Hollywood is, is the right idea, Harold. But you can go to college over here. Uh, and they, they, they teach acting. I think he went there. The, do you guys know the TV and, and movie actor, but mostly TV actor, Dennis Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. Who was McLeod yeah. and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and all that. Yeah. He played, well, my, he was he played a, my dad in gentle Ben. 
Oh, right. he did. That's oh, right. Oh, really? Yeah. Of course. He was a, cu- a couple of years older, but he was at OU and uh, introduced them in a scene study class that he was sort of, uh, you know, as a senior, he was kind of uh, conducting this class, introduced them. They fell in love. They didn't make it. They made it through that semester, that year, but they ran off. And, uh, you know, they didn't quite tell us the story, but years later, we figured it out that they were, they, they were, they were the, they were the runaway bohemians. Wow. Man. Oh, fun. Uh, and then they went off. Did they go immediately to the, to LA or did they go to New York? Well, well they, first they went, well, first they went to Nashville. They, they got wind that there was someone in their, in their, their sphere that, that had, successfully managed to, to grab some acting work in Nashville in the theater, the little theater area they had. And so mom and dad went to Nashville and they struck out. They didn't have any luck in Nashville. And having gone from Oklahoma to Nashville, they then just, they moved up North to New York city. So they and landed this was in, in the fifties. They spent the first four or five years of their forties in the forties. Yeah. Oh in New York. forties. Yeah. Wow. Late forties, 48. Wow. 47, 48. So you guys had and, no uh, choice. I mean, this was in, yeah, this just was in it. your DNA. You had, you had no choice. <laughs> no it choice. Is. I know Although, what that feels like. <laughs> you know, they so so they got married and they miraculously uh, eventually got married. They miraculously, you know, survived in the business. And my dad was thrilled. He said, you know, from the age of 20 on, he never had to have a real job. He always managed to, to, to the, do this for a living. She wanted to act and was very, very good by all accounts, uh, but hated the competition, was not, didn't fit. You know, she wasn't quite the character, wasn't quite the leading lady, didn't quite get the work. But, and, and when I was born, she signed off once and for all, I'm, I'm not going to act anymore. And, um, and, and, but. Right. And they, then the second you started crawling, they're like, he's auditioning. <laughs> not really, not really. Future fitness, it's Ollie. It's the future. future. It's the future of fitness, and it's happened to be called future fitness. Yes, this is something that I have been using for a year and a half now, and it is possibly the greatest workout app that I have ever been a part of. Well, here's what I love about it. This allows you to be able to do basically anything you want. Yep. For me, someone who travels, someone who has a trainer, someone, a personal trainer, mm-hmm. someone who loves my Peloton, someone who loves to get outside and bike. Mm-hmm. What I'm digging about it is that you have a personal coach that holds you accountable to those decisions that you make. They schedule things out for you. They basically say, okay, you're going to work out four times a week. That's what you want to do. They know what your goals are. Mm-hmm. And you can say, I really want to do my Peloton on Wednesday. Yep. And they hold you accountable to that. And you actually text with them. They put your FaceTime. I did a a TV show in Albuquerque. I had no weights. And so my boy, Matt, I said, look, I have nothing. And he created a workout for me that is body weight and things that I had around the house. You know, like water jugs and stuff. So cool. And it's it's basically, it's unlimited personal training that, and they customize your workouts for a fixed cost. So you're not paying, you know, 70 to here to do this class or 20 right. here to do this class. It's a fixed cost per month. Boom. you got everything at your fingers. An amazing price. So if you're ready to invest in your long-term health and wellness, you can get started with your future coach right now with a 50% off your first three months 
at tryfuture.com slash sibling. Again, that's tryfuture.com slash sibling. Angela Black. Do you mm. love watching a great mystery of thriller? I love watching. Kate, why are you asking me that? You know I like watching great mystery thrillers. I've got the perfect one for you to watch next. Spectrum Originals, Angela Black. And mm. you can binge all of the episodes for free on demand on Spectrum now. And this new character-driven six-part psychological thriller will follow Angela Black, a woman whose reality is upended when she is approached by a mysterious man carrying an ominous warning. Nothing is as it seems as she tries to save herself and her children from danger, leading Angela to doubt everything she thought she knew, including her own mind. Ooh, she's going to lose her mind. She's going to question it. Sounds kind of fun. Well, stars Golden Globe winner Joanne Froggett, who played Anna Bates in Downton Abbey. Ah, I'd love her. And Mikhail Hoosman from The Flight Attendant. Right. The show is perfect for fans who like a gripping mystery thriller like Gone Girl, Girl on the Train, The Undoing, Sharp Objects. Mm. These are all very, very good actors. The minute I saw this trailer, I knew that it would be binge-worthy. I got two episodes in. I can't wait to start the third one. So I'm telling you, you have to start watching Angela Black today. Binge all of the episodes for free on demand on Spectrum. Now that's Spectrum Originals, Angela Black. So you were born in New York, both of you. I, no, I was born mm. in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, and oh, okay. Because, okay. Clint was well, born in L.A., oh, right? For a reason. My, Clint was born in, in Burbank at, at, at uh, St. Joe's uh, Hospital there. Um, and, uh, but I, but uh, my dad was in the Air Force uh, at the time because his career was interrupted. Korean War was on. He was about to be drafted. Instead, he chose to enlist so that he could get into the, the you know, like sort of USO and, and do shows and special services and whatnot. And that's what that's what he did. And uh, instead of having me on the base hospital at the base hospital where very sadly she'd had a stillborn baby, uh, a, a stillbirth the year before. And it certainly affected them deeply. She wanted to have me and Duncan with the family doctor. So. That's where I, that's why I was. I, I've never lived in Duncan, but I lit, but I was born in her hometown. And once he got out of the Air Force, he went back into the acting. And because he had he had been on the road with Henry Fonda in the play Mr. Roberts for a year, he had a lot of authority and he'd been on Broadway with it, had a lot of authority with summer stock groups to direct that play and be in it. And so he, 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 you know, he was, his career was going along well enough that he had that kind of opportunity. He did. And he, and he started to see that I was picking up on the dialogue. I was mimicking. He thought that was hilarious. If you ever saw the movie, he cook, he took one of the seeds where he, where he would play the Henry Fonda part and I would play the Jack Lemon part. And we would do this scene for people and it would crack people up. And so and how you know, old how old were you at this point? Three. Uh, I'm Ronnie, Ron, three. My my daughter's like that. She mimics. You can yeah, say to she, her, say it like this, Ronnie, and she'll just say it right back. She'll be like, yeah. you know. Uh, well, having directed a lot of kids now, I recognize that there are you know there is a thing. Some kids get pick up on the notion of make believe in a really organized way, 
as something that you can do mm-hmm. and people can get a kick out of it. And I, I, I've seen it by, there are kids who are at three and four under actually understand the game mm-hmm. yeah. and they're, and they're organized enough to sort of be able to play along really kicks in by about five or six. But, but anyway, the, so he was making the rounds, which is a thing that actors in New York had to do. This is when all the television, live TV and everything was still in New York, 1958 and and uh 57 and he wandered into a casting call where there were a lot of kids he was just going to leave his picture and resume with the casting director who he kind of knew and he said uh well they can't see you right now it's we're swamped we're, we're doing this movie for mgm the journey and uh you know and he said well okay i'll leave a note and he left a note hey rance howard stopped by hey by the way i have a son who's a fine actor so <laughs> He was just hoping to make some kind of cut through somehow. Mm-hmm. So they called and said, why don't you bring your son in? And he said, well, I was kind of joking. They said, well, bring him in. So he did. And we did this scene for Mr. Roberts. And apparently it went over fairly well. And then they said, can he, do you think he could do anything else? And my dad said, I honestly have no idea, <laughs> <laughs> but we could try. Yeah. And they gave him some sides and we went home and prepared. And that worked out. And eventually then I had a screen test, which I write a lot about in the book because they did some kind of remarkable things to prepare me for the for mm-hmm. the uh, for the screen test. Oh this is so wild. I mean, it's also like when you're talking about it, just this the the romance of New York in the '50s, you know, and the, the you know how amazing that probably what an amazing time that probably was. They loved it, and my mom loved New York. Um, uh, you know, and and it's. Uh, late in her life as she was coming to the end of her life and she'd been ill for quite a while and had gone back into acting and had a great run as kind of the new little old lady on the block, you know, and she was just getting these sitcoms and these movie roles. And, you know, she just was working all the time. So she was getting a lot of validation there. Um, unfortunately, uh, she was never very healthy and, and, uh, uh, and she, she sort of knew, what was going on. And one of the things that she wanted to do was go back to New York and see New York again. So dad took her back and she was in a wheelchair then. And he got in a, and they wanted to see the apartment where they had really, you mm. know, been those bohemian kids. Yeah. And oh, was you it know, Ron, they the were, Ir- Irving Arms was the, I think, I think the Irving that might have been what it was called, the Irving Arms. And, you know, and they had, they had sort of rented Went this over by Gramercy other, Park. You know, it was on the Hudson uh, uh, and on the Upper West Side, like around uh, like 90th or something like that. And uh, and so they had, you know, they, they had great memories. They So they got went from the hotel, they got in a cab. They went up there to see the place again. They pulled up. And, and this is like this is so much like a, a movie or a Charles Dickens novel. Mm-hmm. Literally a wrecking ball is swinging through the air, <laughs> taking the building out. Oh, no. And yeah, that's what I thought. I said, oh, no, but here's my mom's vibe. I said, mom, were you disappointed by that? And she said, oh, no, oh, no. We felt really lucky, lucky. Yeah, we felt really lucky that we we got to be the last ones to see it. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's who she was. I mean, that's it right there. It's also, I have to say, sort of who you are as a filmmaker. You must have carried that with you. You have that bittersweet hopefulness. Well, thank you. I do. I do view things, you know, um, optimistically. But, you know, talk talking about your pa, talking about Kurt, it, you know, 
he's the one person we've talked a lot about this over the years that, you know, that, that I, I view as somebody who really understood would understand our journey and the relationship because your granddad's Bing, mm-hmm. yeah. he was very matter of fact about it all. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, here's a thing you can do. Right. Right. I mean, we used to talk about this, so I know I'm, I, I, I know I'm right. And, 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 and yet conveying, if you look at Kurt's childhood performances, he was grounded. He was honest. Mm-hmm. He wasn't play acting. He understood the scene. This is a similar thing that dad was able to do for Clint and I that allowed us to, to really learn the art of something, the you know, the the and 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 tools that we could use the rest of our lives. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is because I'm, I mean, we never really talk about pause as a childhood actor on our show. You know that that's really like he he started at nine, and he worked. He was a big Disney guy for, and you oh, know yeah. forever. Yeah. But, but then he got fed up and quit the business. Pa. Right, right. Moved well, to he, Colorado. Yeah, yeah, and and was he writing. was going to be a baseball player. And was going to yeah. be yeah. Now well, that was after. Yeah. Did you have that oh. moment with acting and with being sort of known or seen where you were no. like, I'm not so sure this is. No, all in, all, all in <laughs> for all time. I I mean I thought about other things like if I could have been a if I would have been good enough to be a baseball player, I thought I could maybe do that seasonally. Uh, uh, you know, uh, but I, when I was eight, they were saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, my answer, my pat answer was actor, writer, producer, director, cameraman, and baseball player. <laughs> In that order. In that order. Yeah. So you're five years old. Mom gets pregnant with Clint. Right. What was your first kind of reaction to having a sibling? Did you know that it was going to be a boy? Probably not right there. No, now. no, we didn't know in those days. You didn't ever know. Uh, I was thrilled. I was thrilled about it. I was kind of a lonely kid because, you know, first of all, my first two years of my life, they were in the Air Force. So they were moving around. Then it's two years in uh, sort of in New York, but also summer stock. And then the thing, then we did this movie that was in Europe. And and uh, that's the first time that I acted professionally. Uh, So, I, you know, I knew kids here and there, but I didn't have a pal. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. And, um, I love my parents. We all got along fine, but, but I immediately was just enthralled with the idea of there, there being somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then when, when, when Clint was born, do you have any of your earliest memories of him? Yeah. The day we brought him home from the hospital. What was Uh, that like? Well, I had been on an audition that day. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, came back and to, to, to pick them up in their 52 Plymouth, uh, four door sedan. Uh, and I just remember sitting in the back and, you know, they wheeled mom out in the chair. It was St. Joseph's hospital with this little bundle. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, I don't remember, I don't think I went to the hospital cause I don't ever remember looking through the window and seeing babies or anything like that. And so here he was in this in this blanket and my grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, Louise Spiegel, she was there and she was helping her and just got in the back and I, no seatbelts in those days, Mm-mm. but no, no car seat. No. Just her uh, holding yeah, her baby. Just, just mom <laughs> holding her baby. While driving. And, and probably with cigarettes <laughs> with in their mouth. Cigarette, <laughs> martini <laughs> and <Marty>. driving. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was Clint. And, you know, Clint was one of these kids. I remember it. I mean, I just, I was, he had personality from jump. 
I always say he was kind of born with one eyebrow raised and a smirk on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys find that people know? Because, because Clint, you have one of the most recognizable faces as an actor, and yeah. you've been in everything, and you're hilarious, and you have memorable moments in in a lot of. The oh my God! You're probably stopped you on the street more than Ron. But do it's people, like I know you. Do people know that you're brothers? Well, yes, I think the majority of people have figured it out one way or another. It's amazing to me when when people don't know. Like, for instance, I believe, Ron, what show were we on? We were on the Today Show where yes. The View or we were, we were on The View. And one of the ladies on The View said, I didn't know you guys were brothers. <laughs> and I would think, Jesus, you know, I mean... I, you know, I don't know. I get it. I, I picked that up on the Twitter feed, though. But people also don't know that that uh, that Bryce and I are related. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get the same the thing with my brothers all the time. They're like, I had no idea yeah. that you guys. And it's like we do we do more things together. We <laughs> post about each other all yeah. the time. But yeah. like between Wyatt, Ollie and I, it's like they nobody ever realizes we're related for some reason. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about about celebrity being celebrity is you know, after a while, and listen, I don't remember when I wasn't. I don't remember when somebody was not looking at me, you know, really, really taking a look. And in fact, one thing that mom said later in her life, right, kind of towards the end, she was really, one thing she was really impressed by with me was that even as a very little kid, I could put blinders on. I could actually kind of focus on what I needed to focus on and not worry or be distracted by people looking at us. But that being said, the, you know, the celebrity thing, I assume people know. People come up and, people come up and approach me, you would think, well, they would know something about me. To, to what extent of their knowledge, I'm not sure, but they would, they know something. And then when I find out what they know, is completely wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you know, which I, I get a kick out of that. Yeah. When people claim they know stuff about me, yeah. it's just not even close. Where do you get your information? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's always, I have to gauge, I have to gauge, well, okay, this person, is he just full of it? Yeah. Is, is he just, what, 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 what is he, what is he trying to get something? From oh, well, me? always. Well, I you mean, also we, have that is when you're growing up with a famous parent. Right, we've experienced that it's too and I'm opposite. sure your kids have it's, as well though. It's also a little opposite where it's more like you do gauge the bullshitters really early on you because to. you see how they're reacting to your parent. Like for right. me with with mom and pa, mm -hmm. I have the opposite. There's no blinder. It's like I've got like vampire vision. Like I can see everything happening. Yeah. Yeah, I can see yeah. who's coming in. Right. I know that immediately they're going to want to talk to Pa. Sure. They're going to talk to Mom. Oh, yeah. I yeah, see yeah. Mom Your left her glasses. Are crazy gonna, heightened. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> but you also you also get sharp. You know, you get sharp on 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 who people are and mm -hmm. their intentions, and your your intuition just goes boom. I mean, I think it's really a growing oh, experience. I, I think my bullshit detector, my bullshit detector, has been you know, really refined and, and, you know, honed pretty well. I can miss, I miss it. I miss my, my BS detector misses, but I think you're right. I, I generally speaking, do you, I think do you I, guys as Sibs, do you think it did it, does it pull you together as Sibs? Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I think it does for sure. You know, I mean, I sort of feel that with my kids. We have four kids. 
two of them are in the business, two not. But but I feel like they they're super close because we've traveled around and they were it was always that this a little bit of a circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, see, I, I, I had a problem with it. I hated when people came up to mom. I, it drove me crazy. I remember as a young boy feeling anger, not expressing it because I was too little, but being angry when someone would come up to my parents. Like it was just yeah. this really sort of instinctive. Uh. And then as I got older, I did everything that I could to to keep it quiet and secret who my parents were. I mean, everything that I could. Actually, right. a quick funny story about Katie and I at camp. We were at Four Winds Westward Ho on Orcas Island, a really a great sailing camp. This is a funny I didn't story. want anyone to fucking like, know no who my parents were because I wanted to be anonymous. Ollie's like, don't ever tell anybody. I wanted them to like me yeah. for me. <laughs> I mean, it was a whole thing. I was 11 or 12 years old. Cut to... Whereas there's this huge lawn that we have these all camp um, sort of what it's like a yeah, assembly, like an assembly, and it's like a runway right. that it, goes down into the goes water. Down right and it's there's very a big beautiful. dock, and it's Orcas Island, yeah, it's Seattle. Beautiful. It's gorgeous, and there's this dock, and the, the, you yeah. know, a, a schooner on the yeah, dock. Yeah, and the camp like counselor's a, giving his announcement. All of a sudden, the seaplane goes. <laughs> it like, like buzzes our assembly buzzes down the assembly and does this big left hand turn and distracts everyone. And everyone's looking up. Like, what the like, hell? And, and then looking up. And the seaplane lands and pulls up to the dock right at the bottom the dock, like, of the assembly. Yeah. Out steps our fucking Mom. mother. Blonde Mom. hair. I mean, like, Goldie Hawn in all her glory. Ron, she was literally like, hey. hey. Oh like, God. I'm looking for my kids. And she runs up the thing. Oh. And Oliver was like, I was like oh my I, God. and I, of I'm course, kill was myself. very happy. <laughs> like, I was like, mommy. <laughs> what a great story. Well, I one of our, you know, four kids, there was one daughter, one of the daughters would just, uh, it was really um, uh, dad, uh, <laughs> leave me off here. Yeah, don't know, come in. 500 yards from, <laughs> yeah. you know, the check-in. Uh, and turn around and I love you, but goodbye. Oh, <laughs> did God. you guys growing up though, because you did have fame so at an funny. early age, were you ever, but, but did you ever, were you ever Ron annoyed with, but were you annoyed with it? You know, and was it ever like, Jesus, yes. I love what I, I do. Would, no, but- I was, I never, I never loved that. Never loved that. I'm an introvert. Uh, I love the work. Always loved it. Loved the set. Love caught on to the idea that there was this, this creative energy and there was a lot of laughs and there was, you know, and as a kid, you could actually earn their respect, real honest right. respect. You could right. even be, you could be a peer almost, you know, and I loved everything about that, but you know, the world away from the studio was a little perplexing for mm-hmm. me. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and I was, I, and again, I was just a, a, a Clint, Clint went through it very differently. He had a kind of a, like he talked about those blinders. He just a very unselfconscious, uh, confident kid. And it was like, if, if somebody fucked with him, he, 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 it didn't throw him. He was like game on. Did you embrace that more? Like, yeah, fuck it. This is who I am. And yeah, let me put my chest out a little bit and I'm good with that. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I did, I did embrace it more, but I also had the great advantage of watching him navigate, right. you know, and run into a lot of spitballs and a lot of water balloons. I mean, not literally, but you know, Ron put up with a lot of crap. Yeah. You know, and I, and I was just smart enough 
hopefully just smart mm-hmm. enough to be able to sort of identify, well, wait, if you zig here, if you, if you kind of act this way, then they won't pick on you. You know, listen, Ron grew up, he was the first kid and he was, you know, he was kind of a nerd. He really was, you know, I, I mean, I love Ron dearly. You're but, putting that in the past tense. I have a yeah. feeling it's still in my hold. No, you're not much of a nerd. You're not much of a nerd anymore, dude. Uh, no, I just, you know, so I had the, I had, I had the position of being able to watch him. Listen, what a great advantage. Being yeah. able to see my, my five-year older brother navigate through these tricky waters of, of the entertainment business and forget the entertainment business, but life. You know, how how to deal, how to deal with the public, how to deal with people when they came up and said, General Ben, General Ben, where's your bear? You know, and 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 Opie and stuff. I mean, it just was, you know, I I, I don't recall ever, ever not having that, you know, and, and never not. Well, I, I had to learn how to handwrite to you know to, to to do autographs, to give autographs. Right. You ever get in any fights with kids? Like, fuck yeah. you, bang. Yeah. <laughs> did did yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. I was bullied around and dad was a tough guy. He wasn't a, a he wasn't aggressive. He didn't ever seek conflict, but he was, you know, he was this strapping farm boy and he'd wanted to be a boxer. He, I don't think he, I don't think he ever feared anybody or anything really in his life. Uh, he was just one of these guys in a calm, cool kind of, you know, sort of Midwestern Zen way. But so he would just say, punch him in the nose. Well, I, you know, I didn't quite ever get around to punching too many people in the nose. We were very good at wrestling in our family. Wrestling was a big thing in the, in the 60s, big, very popular. And we used to play act, all that stuff. And, uh, and Clint, when Clint came along, he joined in right away. But I actually, because of this, I if, if they said you want to fight, it never was punching anyway. It was always sort of tackling and grappling. And I was good at that. And so I kind of had to earn my way. My dad knew nothing about sports. But the reason that I became a middling athlete, it was that I, I needed it as an equalizer. Uh, and I, I got I practiced, man. I mean, on my own in ways that my buddies wouldn't b- bother to do I, just to get so if I was in a pickup basketball game, I, you know, they had to deal with me. I was pretty good. Baseball, I could actually, I'd make the team. I, you know, and yeah, and, that's how and, you uh, earned your respect, sort of, even though, I mean, everyone would want to be in your position on TV yeah. making that kind of dough. But at the same time, that's looked down upon when you're a kid. Yeah, right? that's right. You, you earn that's your respect right. through athletics and being like, oh, wait, holy shit, this yeah, kid's he's, actually he's okay. can play ball. He can handle right. himself on the playground. I yeah. think I think sometimes for like millennials or Gen Zs for uh forget that that television what the kind of stardom it created during during I mean yes. not that long ago, but but really when you were when you were on that show, you were everyone. There were only so many channels. That's right, three channels, and there were only so many shows. I mean, you were really America's child star. I mean, people yeah. tuned in, and it's like being a Beatle. I mean, I I don't want to compare you Hold to on. a Beatle. Like, I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm, he was like Justin Bieber of his day. <laughs> You're like a beep. It was it was uh that happened to Henry Winkler. That actually happened to Henry Winkler with Happy Days, and that was a different kind of a thing. But what what but there was an absolute familiarity that was you know unlike anything that would really happen today to a kid actor. Uh, be, and the show was a top ten show for eight years. In fact, it was the number one show in the nation 
the last year that it was on the air. But Andy Griffith was t- just tired of doing it, wanted to try something else. Now you're a success if you have, you know, two and a half million people watching your yeah, show. When, when, when you were, that, how many people were watching that show? If, if you didn't, if you didn't hit 30 million, it was an off week. Yeah. 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 Fucking crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, what did you do? I did. So Everly Well, before we talk about Everly Well, this is- Everly this is, Well. Okay, this is, it, it, the idea is you can, what if you could use science, right, to discover more about your body all year long, you give yourself more clarity, better understanding of your health and your wellness mm-hmm. with Everly Well at-home lab tests. So this is- Right. An at-home lab test where you can just monitor. What did you do? Okay, so I did- foods. Oh, I did my thyroid. I want to do foods because I never do. I, I just yeah. have no idea what or uh, what I may or may not be allergic to, what doesn't settle well with me. Well, let's talk about what the at-home lab tests give you. So they give you physician-reviewed results, personal insights so that you can take action on your health and wellness at an affordable and transparent cost. So there's 30 tests. You're able to choose the ones that make you the that make the most sense for you. So Food sensitivity mm-hmm. is like what you did. Metabolism, that was the other thing. I, I wanted, I wanted I to do I was going between food sensitivity and metabolism. I think I'm going to do metabolism, metabolism. next. Yeah. Sleep and stress and thyroid are just a few of the many options. They ship you your at-home test straight to your house with everything you need for a simple sample collection. You use the prepaid shipping label, you mail your test back to a certified lab, and in just days, your physician-reviewed results and actionable insights are sent to your device Everything is digital and you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide the next steps. And for listeners of our show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash sibling. That is everlywell.com slash sibling for 20% off your at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash sibling. We're back, baby, with Coors Light. They will never leave us. We will never leave them. We are a unit. Coors Light is basically half my blood. You know, I have half blood red (laughs) platelets and then half Coors Light. (laughs) Oh, my God. Are you ready to chill? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to chill. Do you want to hit a reset button and get ready for what's next? Fuck yes. Yeah, because these days everything is go, 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 right? Is it? Yeah. I mean, for me. It is for me too. Yeah, so it's time to take a pause. Okay. And it's time to drink a cold, refreshing Coors Light. Oh, that sounds so mm, good. I know, it does. And we're in LA right now, and it, it makes me nostalgic even talking about Coors Light. I know. Well, being you're, in about Colorado. To, you're about to go up there. You're going to get up there soon. That's right, I am. I'll you're going to be up there get soon. My ski. Get my ski on. Coors, it's cold lagered, mm. cold filtered, mm. cold packaged. It is literally Oliver. Made mm-hmm. to chill. And it's as crisp and as refreshing as the Colorado Rockies themselves. Woo! Yeah. Get yep. me up and those Rockies. So Coors Light is the one that we choose when we need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart by going to CoorsLight.com slash Hudson. Were you protective of each other when you were younger? I didn't have to protect him. I was an I uh, he was a g- good young athlete, terrific actor, funny, f- made friends easily. 
I admired Clint. I thought he was cool. I, I was proud of him, really proud of him. Uh, he never got picked on at, by anybody. And uh, so I didn't have to protect him. And dad was a protector. You know, he's a freelance actor. He wasn't on a series. Uh, you know, he worked two days here, a day there and a week there. And uh, so he was around and and also a very protective family. I mean, we, we hung in the neighborhood by today's by today's standards. We had a lot of freedom because but for those standards, we were held very close in, a, in our in our little bubble. Yeah, we had pals. And yes, we could run the neighborhood to an extent, but not the way everybody else could. But I but he he made me feel safe wherever I was on a set or anywhere else. Did you guys did you guys have lulls in your relationship? You know what I mean? Like moving forward in your life where you didn't talk for a while. Kate and I were just having this to talk, yeah. you know. She went and worked in Europe for 5 months and I was doing my thing and sometimes you don't talk for months and months yeah, at I mean, a time. Yeah, I mean our 20s we, we hardly talked for years. Yeah, in our 20s that we barely yeah. we even spoke. We would like see each well, other but Well, I mean, we have stayed close over the years, but we live on Clint. Clint lives on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast, you know, and and, so, and this year I've only been in the United States two weeks. Uh, so uh, the you know, this book, in fact, has been a kind of a gift. And I, you know, I've thought about it. I thought, well, mom, mom and dad, they wanted us to be close. They'd love that we did this book. And, uh, you know, and it's it, 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 this is not any sort of. Uh, uh, reuniting, but definitely it's been great for these two years to have a project to work on and a reason to get on the phone and be sharing emails and talking back and forth. Don't you think, Clint? And the reminiscing too, right? Clint, just like you get to relive it again, which is probably painful and beautiful all at the same time, you know? Yeah, but listen, I tell you what, I, I dwell more on the fact that, you know, we were a New York Times bestseller for a month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud. I'm, first of all, I'm proud that Ron and I could could collaborate and do something that that, you know, affects people. What we're getting, you know, wonderful reviews and and friends and 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 people just, you know, they heartfelt, uh, heartfelt response. Let me double back. I was as best as I could, being five years younger. I was, I was, to, to the best of my ability, protective of Ron. He went through, you know, being Opie. When you're like 15 years old or 16 years old, and having been Opie for the better part of a decade, that's shitty, you know? Now, granted, the work wasn't, and I know it was a beautiful experience. And I met Andy and, and Don, and all these beautiful people got together and created this great show. But Ron was left as a teenager with acne being, hey, Opie, Opie, dopey, you know? And, so and, you know, and even through happy days, even through happy days, it was like, I was... I don't know, just maybe cosmically or whatever I could do. I was just, you know, I believed him as a director. I, I, I believed when he was 15 years old and I was 10. I looked, I looked around and said, shit, this guy's as good as anybody right now. And he's 15 years mm -hmm. old. Mm -hmm. Imagine if he has a little experience under his belt. I never doubted for a second that he could do it. And I supported him, you know, as as best as I could with as much positive sort of, you know, 
I mean, I, I got past the peeing on him part. <laughs> wow, he did. Th- Wait a you minute, you did that uh, too. Y- Oliver did that to me once. Yeah, but I have not gotten. Pa- me- I have not gotten past it. So what? Oliver. Oh, oh Oliver, yeah, he you- still he still likes to <laughs> pee on, on your sister. On me to get to, it, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it was it, we we shared a bathroom, and so I was a very aggressive young girl who was like, "Get out! Come on, I need the bathroom," and I just walk in, and then that was the way he he determined. Heard me I'd turn, <laughs> around, turn around peeing. and start being everywhere. Well, in in our in our situation, uh, Clint was about eighteen months old, uh, still in diapers, still those last stages of diapers. And I remember being down on the floor playing with, with Lincoln Logs or something. And all of a sudden, I feel this this warm stream hitting my cheek, <laughs> and, it's sort of, and, I, and I'm hearing this sort of chortling little laugh. And I look over. Clint has stripped off his diaper. He's oh leaning God. pelvis forward with his arms in the air, which is where I gave him the nick. From then on, he was the hee hee man. As yeah. far as I was concerned. Oh my God. Uh, I just did it once. I just did it once. I swear <laughs> to God, I just did it once. You know, the, one of the things that really struck me in, in the book was about your parents and the handling actually of the finances and that. And it was like that's such a rare thing for child actors or young kids who are pop stars that the parents actually are saving that money for their children. They knew it was yours to be earned. I think you had the perfect parents to to orchestrate it that way because they were the bohemians they were the artists and they understood yeah. hard work and your dad was a journeyman actor you know it's like oh okay you know i'm not yeah. gonna fucking steal they had values. you know they had values and i think the, the fact that very quickly i was getting more work than he was he didn't never there was no he wasn't going to abandon his career ever but i also think as a point of pride we were going to by god live on his paycheck and he was never going to never going to put his son or sons in the situation where they were in any way the breadwinners. It was this was this was their household. This was their family. In fact, when when Cheryl and I started having kids, he said, "I've only got one piece of advice for you guys. Um, you know, I, be loving, but it's not the kids' home. Don't let them run the show." You're, they need you to be the parent. They need you to define what your household is going to be. And, you know, I, I immediately recognized that that's, that's what he did. But that also entailed um, saving our money. And, and uh, because he, you know, I mean, they, they took a manager's fee. You guys know what manager's fees are. They're usually 15%, yeah, they're usually right? Yeah, usually 5%. Yeah, 10, 10, 10. 5%. I, yeah. I was like, this. at that time, I'm saying this yeah, is like the most amazing. emotional, best managers ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to just jump a little bit ahead to like the days that you guys are both kind of like killing it as actors. You're young. Did you party? Like, were there moments where you guys were like, we're going to like cash in tonight on our yeah. fame and we're going to party. <laughs> well, no, I, I never, I never partied with, with Ron. No, well, as I'm mean, saying, did you guys ever have those moments together? I, no, I, no, no, but I've never, I'm not, a, I mean, look, I, I, I am not a partier. I mean, I was, a, I, I really just, I'm a, I'm a, I just not, and it's not in my DNA and I, and I don't, I'm not comfortable in those situations. It's not fun for me. And uh, so at yeah, college, you know, sure, uh, you know, 
cut loose a little bit, uh, you know, some drunken somersaults down the hall at Trojan Hall and at USC. Sure. A little bit, but not fun. <laughs> the next day it was like, why did I do somersaults down the fucking hall? I don't want to do somersaults down the fucking hall. <laughs> that was not funny. You know, you know, we didn't we 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 didn't even like we didn't go shopping on Rodeo Drive. We didn't go, we we never, you know, mom and dad set up our lives. You know, we were dressed from Sears, you know, Sears catalog. And 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 you know, we I know I had one suit. You know, I wasn't it it we we didn't we didn't live like we were going to a party that was just not set up we were we were the howards we we you know and they weren't very social i mean they they weren't like uh, socially um ambitious uh you know at at all uh they had friends and and pals and there were parties and so forth but but uh we like i never saw any of the other kid actors I never, I mean, unless I, unless I was working with one of them on a show or crossing, you know, uh, sitting across from them in a, at an audition, you know, I was, we were, there was a me, there, we had really bifurcated lives. It was, the, it was work, which we understood and liked. And then it was, it was little, it was literally, it was Burbank, California and the parks and recreation department and, and school. And that was, those were our lives. Both of you just, it's a very interesting dynamic because it's very different and opposite than what most people would think would happen when you're growing up as, I mean, when was the, what was your first job, Clint? How old were you? Well, well, I, I did an episode of the Andy Griffith show uh, when I was two years old. And in fact, I, I, we're just, a, I'm a few days shy of being 60 years in the industry, paid professional. <laughs> that is, have you but, been a SAG member for 60 years? No, because when I, back in 1961, uh, infants and kids didn't have to join SAG. I don't think I joined SAG until 1964 or 65. Wow. Yeah, I'm Still like 16,000. I'm, I'm, I don't know what your number is, Ron, but my number is like 16,000. Dad's dad's number, remarkably, was like 2,300 because it goes by seniority. There was a a woman, that lady, an actress who was number one. I think James Cagney was like number two or three, but it went by whoever joined. Have you directed Clint, meaning in one of your movies, in one of your movies, or multiple of your movies? Yes, many times. Apollo 13 is probably one of Clint's bigger roles, but also The Paper. uh, uh, I don't know. How many movies do you think, Clint? 10, 11, 12? Yeah. Uh, You know, I can... I can count the ones that I wasn't in. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, are there times where Clint's like, Ron, fucking put me in this movie. You're like, that would have been the right part says it, but he, he, he gives me the look. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and, and look, I love working with him. He's great. He's, 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 uh, he just elevates every scene he's in. He's creative. He also knows his way around. He's no muss, no fuss. Everything you could dream of. So additive. But I never put him in just to put him in. Right. It's got to be right. If, if, if he can score and there's something really to do that's, that you know, then I love having it. it. That's how well, I feel I about Ollie. Wait, wait, I'm still guys, waiting guys, for guys, <laughs> guys, hold on. Hold on. The, the one, I wanted to be in Heart of the Sea. Yeah. His whaling movie. God, I love that book. Oh. I just couldn't drop the weight. I couldn't play Dying Skinny. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I wanted to be, I wanted to be on that lifeboat. <laughs> but it entailed not eating for three months. In far, in far and away, Clint, there's this, there's the scene where they're claiming the land. Tell and- me you like my hat, Charlie. 
<laughs> and Nicole Kidman is like up on that hill and her like perfect hair is like this. And then she gets on the horse and she, I'll never, and I remember when I was seeing that when I was little and I was like, I will be running on a horse one day on film. <laughs> it was like, it was like, this is the image I see and that I want to be as an actress. <laughs> well, that's fed. Well, that's fantastic. I'm also well, bummed out I wasn't in that too. Well, Cl well, Clint was in that one. He yes. actually had a funny part. In fact, uh, uh, didn't Nicole punch you or push you down or something in that in that movie? Yeah, she 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 pushed me into a big vat of feathers because I was the foreman of the chicken plucking. Oh guy. yeah! Oh my uh, god! Wait, have yeah, you? No, uh, what? Has, has Ron made way, you? Has Ron made you audition ever? Oh yeah! I well, yeah. I, I auditioned. I auditioned until about 1984, and then it was uh, Ron hired me in Backdraft, and right. my scene was with Robert De Niro. And I, I, Ron, you know, I know you told me this that Brian, your partner, came up and said, "Don't you think we ought to maybe audition him or something?" And then once Brian <laughs> saw my performance in Backdraft, he said to you, you "Your brother doesn't have to audition anymore." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Yeah, um, but back uh, back to far and away. I just want to say one thing about that. You know, very you know romantic, idealized, rose-colored glasses. Look back at the you know at that period of uh, of of history, and and just a you know a, a, almost. A, it's not exactly a full-on comedy, but it's def definitely a romance. It was a blast to do. I loved working with them. But the land race scene, which was epic to do, was really meaningful to me because we had three ancestors who rode in that race wow. Uh, wow and nobody got anything but that's why i i was always fascinated by that event which you now look at and realize well they were they took the land from the native americans and yeah. the railroad you know wanted people in there and they gave it away to the anglos and it's kind of a you know it's a dubious page mm -hmm. in our history but at, but it meant something in our family history and on the day that we were filming that that scene, I, I, I remember we had 13 cameras. We had all of these 750 extras and horses and what, and, and including my father, which I'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell a story that's not in the book because it came after the period of time that we were covering in the book. And, and I just, I was on a camera crane booming up and I looking out and it was dawn. And I said, Oh my, this is, this is as close to a time machine as any, as anyone could ever experience because my relatives were there. They were feeling this anxiety, you know, a hundred years ago. It was wild. But speaking of that hundred years, my dad was in that movie and a really good horseman. And he, and he was going to ride it. You know, his character was supposed to race. And the, we did three runs at this thing. And with all these 700 people and horses lined up, the, the head, the head wrangler and stunt coordinator, Walter, came up to me and he said, you know, in the first one, we're not having any principles ride because we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this thing. And, you know, and your dad's a good horseman, bona fide, but he was 60, 66 years old at this time, 67. He's a good horseman, but I, I, he wants to ride in this shot. And I keep telling him, Rance, it's a wide, they're all wide angles. It's no reason for you to do that. We're not letting any actors do it. And please tell him because I don't feel safe about this. And I, so I went up to dad and I said, dad, Walter's the man here on this. You know, uh, we're, we're not going to have a camera on you. There's just no reason for you to do it. The next go, 
I'm going to have crews in there with Nicole and you, and I have cameras for you guys. And, uh, and he said, I, I said, Oh, see, just to sit out the first one. And I started to walk away and he said, son, and he almost never hit me with that one. I, and it was just like a movie. I turned around. He kind of waved for me to walk back over there. And he said, he said, let me tell you something. He said, a hundred years ago, I had three ancestors who rode in this thing. hundred years later, my son is directing a movie about it. And I'd like to ride in the shot. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to Walter and I said, get him his horse. Yeah. Him his horse. That's, that's, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's just the best. Let me, I'm, I, just like an esoteric question because, you know, I'm an actor, but I, uh, directing is something that, I've done since I was a kid. When she was acting as a as a infant, I was in fifth grade making movies. Right. Went to college, blah blah blah. Needed to make money, became an actor. But you know, directing is is something that is a passion of mine, a passion that I don't really pursue because I'm mm-hmm. constantly trying to support a family, and it it gets overwhelming. Honestly, yeah. the process is overwhelming for right now in my life. Um, but a bigger question, like, what do you feel? when you are making a movie? Like, what is that emotion? Not necessarily in conjunction with the story, but just overall, you know? I, I, I feel a kind of a, 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 I mean, it varies because it's it's shifting. But the, the biggest thing that I noticed was that I was less tired at the end of a day of directing than I was in any day where I had like sizable work to do as an actor that the elevator ride of did it and the self doubt and did I get it? And I wish they would have given me another one or, you know, or I, I, you know, it is, was far more exhausting emotionally getting there and back than directing where you, where you, you step on a set, you've prepared everything and your, your focus and your energy level immediately just zooms. If you've got, you know, to a, to a 9.7, and with the first questions coming in and it never stops. It's like that kind of all, you're, you're sort of between 8.5 and 9.7 all day long. And that's the energy level. So it's really focused. But when things start to go well, it can be really, by the way, it also, it makes you feel stupid because you inevitably make a lot of bad calls every day. A lot of little mistakes that eat up time that, you know, and I'm always for trying to cr- be as efficient as possible because I want to create space. I want to create space in the schedule for the good idea, for the, for the, for the, for the go back, for the actor wants to try it another way for all of those things. And, and so I I try to be very, very efficient while also creating an environment where the key people can, can feel like they're, you know, they re- that they've been given a shot to do their best work. I wanted to create that environment every day on behalf of the story. And there are times when I'm, there is definitely a feeling of a flow. There's a time, there are times when you are saying, we're moving from this setup over to here. And by the way, talk to the actor, remind them of such and such, turn around to the DP. Don't forget, we got to, you know, let's switch with lens, let's switch the lens. And it can be really thrilling because you, the, the machine starts to work around that little goal, which is going to be the moment, the moment you're trying to get. Uh, uh, and uh, it's thrilling. I find it thrilling. I still find it thrilling. I just finished doing a movie and it was hard, hard work, but 
I sort of rewarded every so often, every day, when you when you hit those moments and a problem gets solved and something good gets, mm. uh, you know. And how does, are you how, doing your post in London too? Yes. Everything. Yeah. Okay. How, I, you, I, we shot in Australia and we're doing post in, in Oh, in I see. Oh, okay. What about your ego? Now, it's a weird question because you seem like the least egotistical man of all time. But <laughs> when you become successful and more and more, do you ever have to check your ego? Meaning like, I am the shit. I know I'm the shit. Everyone knows I'm the shit. I've made incredible movies. And Oliver, I don't think Ron Howard sees himself like that. <laughs> I, I think he does. I have a feeling. Yeah. I get a feeling I, I, it manifests I, I, itself I, I differently. Wish I, would, I wish I would allow myself that a little bit more. Really? I'm. Uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to get your phone call, and you need to cheerlead <laughs> me, man. Ollie, uh, Ollie, you're going to call all. You're going to be like, Ollie, give me some I'm of like, that. Ron, you're, you're the, the shit. shit. I'm, uh, shit. Uh, right at this moment, I, I, uh, I, am, I, don't, I am not the shit. I am shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I know that. I feel like I have that at least once a day when I'm working. Um, you know, Clint, I, we're going to start wrapping up here, but I really do want to hit on, you know, your struggles with addiction. And I just think that's a really like wonderful, honest thing for you to do. And so helpful for so many people. I know we have so many friends who struggle and I just wanted to sort of ask if, if talking about that and letting that out was a, a very healing process for you and how you feel about it now that you were able to sort of just be, you know, as open as you were about it in the book? Well, the healing began, you know, in really 1991. I mean, and, and listen, I, I, you know, I got to be careful about anonymity and stuff, but, you know, there, there are programs where people gather and they share their experience, strength and hope. And, you know, I have shared my story um, umpteen times, hundreds of times. Um, I've, I was, did a lot of speaking and stuff. I've, I've, I've laid my cards out on the table before. Um, I didn't find it much different, uh, laying my cards on the table in writing this book. You know, listen, I just had a penchant. That's not quite the right word. Um, I liked the feeling of being high. I mean, I just did. And, you know, I think to some degree, I still do. I still sort of try to chase euphoria to a degree. Um, and, and, you know, but, but listen, I, you know, I don't know whether, whether it's in my DNA or whether it's something that came about or something, but, you know, I was so anxious to smoke weed when I was about 13 years old, maybe 14 years old. I'm not, can't quite remember that I took the pencil shavings of my pencil sharpener and I twisted up a fatty. And I tried to smoke the pencil shavings. Now, you know, I, somewhere in my head, I knew it wasn't going to work, but I was just so anxious to try to get there, you know, and that, I don't know, it wasn't learned behavior. I don't think me being in the business had anything to do with it. It's just, it was sort of in, like I said, it was in my DNA and, you know, sharing is critical. You know, you're only as sick as your secrets. You really, and you know, and I, I didn't, this book is not meant to be some sort of revelatory thing because like I said, I've, I've, I've spoken about this stuff a lot and, you know, with my friends and my family, Ron knows Ron was right there with me and Ron, Ron drove a couple of times to rehabs to visit me and stuff, you know? Um, and you know, it just felt like as far as, as far as, you know, as we wrote the boys, it, it, it did happen in my childhood. You know, I did started getting loaded in my childhood. How old? It was something that we needed to talk about. 
you know, I started getting loaded, you know, when I was about 16 years old, sort of on a daily basis. You know, I, I played high school baseball. I was a varsity high school player and I smoked weed and drank. You know, I was listen, there was a period of time where it sort of worked, where I was able to anesthetize myself and and everything was great. And then, you know, like what happens with most people with addiction and, and drug abuse or alcohol, alcoholism is it quit working, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm really glad that it did quit working because Jesus, you know, my, my liver would be out to here now. It's been, mm-hmm. you know, um, so anyway, I am always grateful to be given an opportunity to to share and to talk and and one on one with somebody who's struggling or in some sort of a group session. I certainly know that, you know, honesty is the best policy. And, and uh, you know, if it like you said, if I can do something to help somebody, Jesus, that's, you know, that's kind of why I'm on Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have to did you have to go through sort of analysis, meaning self-analysis, just to understand why and where this came from in order to sort of curtail this addiction and come out of it? Oh, I don't know. You know what? Back back in 1991, I mean, my first run at recovery was 1984. And then I had another, I'm 88. You know, you, I, I hit bedrock. I hit rock bottom and then skidded along the bedrock for a mm-hmm. while, you know. <laughs> um, no, you know what? Simply enough, friggin' I put the plug in the jug and I started taking suggestions of other people. I, I remember the first time I was, I saw the 12 steps of recovery. I thought these are great, but they need to edit them down a little bit because there's 12 too many. Too many. Maybe they ought to edit it down <laughs> to five steps. But, but in 1991, I said, Clint, fucking please, let's try to do it their way. You know, and I had success. Without, with not with not a lot of analysis, I, you know. Of course, I did inventories, and of course, I worked through things. But I, you know, I, I listen. I like to get loaded, and it's time to stop. Yeah, <laughs> I like the straightforward aspect of that. You know, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, and it right. Maybe it doesn't it does it doesn't have to be yeah. anything from your child. It's like yeah. well, he made his he made his mom and dad a happy, lo- proud people when when uh, and they both you know they. They both saw it, and 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 uh, it 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 uh, it made their lives. It made their lives to see him go through that and come out of it the way, uh, the way he. Well, has. before before we end, I just want to say that that the documentary your girl did, dads, was just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. I even thank contacted you. some of the subjects uh, via Instagram just to sort of communicate because I was so excellent. In, I was just yeah. so amazed by their stories. Uh, and it's it's my number one priority in my life over my career, over anything else. Being a father is extremely important to me because our dad sort of wasn't there and we wanted to break the cycle. I wanted to break the cycle. So watching that was just really powerful and and oh. how you were raised and how you raised your kids and how you had a video camera in your hand seemingly all the time <laughs> filming everything. Well, You're very I'll, inspirational as a dad too. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll pass that along to uh, to Bryce, who's uh, also here in London working. And, I'm, oh, I'm and is your boy still playing uh, golf? Oh, yeah. Golf, yes, yes, yes. Reed, Reed is still playing and uh, he also has a, a, a teaching uh, 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 tool uh, called Steadhead, which is selling. And, and he, he, you know, patented this thing and oh, it's, awesome. and, uh, it's doing that as well. Great. Um, well, before we go, we're going to do a quick speed round. And I just, I guess the first question I'm, I'm going to start the speed round with is what did this book in, in like a, a quick sentence, what did this book, what's a new thing that it taught you about your brother? And, and you guys can both answer it. 
it reminded me of how funny Clint is, uh, but it taught me that uh, even as a young guy, he was wise to the world and competitive and more competitive than I realized he was. Well, listen, I, it, re, it reaffirmed in my mind what a freaking awesome man my big brother is. You know, he's consistent. He was consistent when at, when I was five and he was 10. He was consistent. He's consistent when he all through our adult lives. He's been a very consistent presence in my life. And, you know, I love that consistency. I, you know, he's a Hall of Fame guy. And, I, you know, in, in the sports world, there was a ball player, Carl Yastrzemski, who Carl Yastrzemski just year in and year out, just banged it out, banged it out. One year he had the triple crown. You know, one year the Red Sox won, uh, but, you know, but day in and day out, Yastrzemski, you know, brought his lunch pail to, to the yard and played ball. And that's Ron. Aww. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> I, I love that. So, okay, what was the best advice you've received from the other? Wow. Can you go, Clint? Do you have anything? Best advice. Well, okay. The best advice I ever is Ron, Ron in adulthood, Ron would start a lot of sentences by a lot of conversations by saying, now, Clint, I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice. (laughs) 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 You know, it's wait, it's the consistency of the advice. It's all really solid. And another thing that Ron has done, which I really appreciate, he has dropped tidbits of advice that he has gained from other people, people that he has respected both in the industry and out of the industry. Ron likes to pass along. Ron likes to share, you know, and, and, you know, he's told me things, little, little insights that George Lucas has told him. George and Ron have been, you know, very much close over the years. And it just seems like Right when I needed to hear something, right when I need to hear something, Ron would, you know, say something. Oh, you know, I heard this from George Lucas or, you know, and not to name drop, but listen, George is a very successful guy. Mm -hmm. And listen, you know, his advice seems pretty solid to me. So anyway, it's Ron imparts just the right stuff at just the right time. And Clint's Clint's got a, a, a great clear eyed sense of the world. I think some of it has to do with everything that he's lived through and, and accomplished away from the set as, as much as, 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 you know, working on movies or television shows. But for him, it's a sort of a clear, he has a, he has a sense that he will try to impart to me um, to, to just, to trust my gut, give it my best shot and, and live with it. And, you know, def- kind of, Stop thinking you're going to be able to control the outcome. Mm-hmm. I Just like that. Do your thing. Yeah. And I think that there have been many times when he's seen me, you know, sort of straining, struggling with an idea, feeling, emotion, uh, and I'll call him up because uh, he has that. He has that wisdom and uh, and can give that kind of advice. Here's one. Who's more athletic? Clint. Oh. <laughs> he just raises his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Clint, great, great, great with the hand-eye coordination. Decides <laughs> to pick up a ping pong table, and before long, he's down there playing with the people on their way to the uh, to the Olympics. First childhood crush. For me, it was a a girl that I was acting with in a TV in a movie at Disney. Uh, and she recently passed away. Her name was Donna Butterworth. She was a singer. She'd done a movie, an Elvis movie. Uh, and uh, we were in this TV movie together. And uh, we, we, we both had to, we got to do a, 
a publicity trip to Disneyland at one point, and we we kissed on the Monsanto ride. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Donna Butterworth. Clint? Clint? Well... He's like Donna Butterworth. The street from me on Cordova, and her name was Paulette Fraconi. Ah, oh. an Italian. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but also, too, and I write about this in The Boys, you know, uh, a, a director that we were really close with, Bob Totten, uh, had a daughter named Heather. And Heather had red hair. And I was, you know, Heather and I actually had a little, you know, 12-year-old relationship when, you know, I, about the time I was making The Red Pony. So Heather Totten. Uh, nice. Heather Totten and Paulette Fraconi. Hey, did 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 you did mom or mom and dad have a favorite? And and I mean that, of course they didn't. But were there times where we were like, oh no, of course, Clint's the man, or Ron is the man? <laughs> <laughs> they, they were pretty balanced. They, they were, were pretty balanced uh, uh, about that. And uh, and again, there was that distance. Yeah. So uh, he yeah. was the baby, you know, and 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 uh, and and entertaining as hell and and talented. Uh, but I never felt like that that I was being superseded by the kid. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. The last question we do this with everybody is if there is it's a two part question. If there is one thing that you could emulate from your brother, what would that be? And then the other part of the question is, if there is something that you could alleviate from your brother that you feel could help them in their life and sort of optimize their life, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Well, f- for me, it, it, it really is it really is simple. First of all, the thing that I, Ron needs to take a break every once in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ron is a determined, dogged, hardworking man very focused. And, 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 you know, like I, I used to play a lot of golf and, you know, I, I would make this statement. I would say, you know, while Ron is trying to learn how to make a better motion picture, I'm learning how to hit a four iron out of the rough, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and that, that sort of capsulated it very much. I'll tell you, Ron may not be an absolute genius. I mean, I love him dearly, but he may not be an absolute genius, but what he is genius at doing is staying on a problem and working it. Ron is forever putting his maximum brain power onto a, onto a situation and getting optimum results. Obviously, the, the, you know, the proof is in the pudding. He's got great kids. He's had a tremendously successful year, a successful career. He's been married for a zillion years to this beautiful girl that he met in high school. You know, Ron has done things right. And it and he does it not with genius, but with focus. And that's something I'd like to have a little more of. And what would you what would you alleviate? From him, something. There's a break. Oh, sorry. Take a break. Yeah, just take a break. Take a break. Listen, Ron. Ron Do you want to leave that from me? (laughs) Ron hit the jackpot as a filmmaker in his mid twenties, right? Mm -hmm. And then he proceeded to like go ten years without taking a family vacation, right? (laughs) Oh my God, Ron. <laughs> I have a feeling there were family vacations. They were just happening where he was shooting. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was at one of them. Ron, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on a second. Ron would, I would be on the phone with Ron and he would be off on some little two or three day break. This was later on because he really did go years without taking a family vacation. But he would, he had promised, he would, he had promised Cheryl that he wouldn't bring any scripts with him. He promised Cheryl that he wasn't going to work 
on anything show business related, but yet he would confide in me that he brought a couple of scripts. And I'd be jonesing and no good to anybody. Uh, but, okay. Uh, well, so let's see, Clint, um, the, I, I wish I could have, um, Clint's, um, sort of ability to own and be himself with, with, um, with, uh, uh, a, a complete sense that that's more than enough. Mm. And, 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 you know, um, Clint doesn't feel like he, he has to please people. He's not a guy going around annoying people or like creating problems, but he's, he's present with himself in the situation in that moment with a, with a, a strong measure of confidence. And, um, I admire that. I, I, I wish I, I, you know, had a little bit more of that. Sure. I'm confident. I mean, I know I'm, I've, 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 I've had, you know, success and I have confidence in my ideas and my thoughts, but it's that, it's that sort of real centered stability that, you know, it, it, it that, 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 that I'm enough, you know, and, 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 and more than enough. Mm -hmm. And I think Clint has that. And I admire that in him and uh, because it's uh, you know, and, and, and with that is I think more relaxation and a sense to, have more fun, more laughs and be a little bit looser, which is great. Uh, the thing that I, that I wish I could, I could give him is, um, um, wow, I think he's doing pretty damn well. Uh, the, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I wish I could, I wish I could give him back some of the time that he did lose, mm. um, because he, he went through a rough decade. And, um, and, and he, and by the same token, he wouldn't be who he is today without having lived through that. And we as a family benefit from that benefit from his wisdom, his insights. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I, 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 but he, he lost, he lost time. Um, and, uh, and he knows it. And, you know, I, I, if I, if I could wave a wand, you know, I would try to give that back to him, but I wouldn't change him. There's nothing I would, I don't think I can improve him. Love that. Well, That's I love so this. Thank you, so Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was yeah, so fun. Pleasure. This oh, was so wonderful. Talk to you both. I appreciate and you guys. We'll, what a hopefully blast. We'll see. Yeah, this was so great. I, I loved it so much. We'll, I mean, hope, we'll see you and, soon. And get the book. Okay. Yeah. I'll get, uh, the, the Boys, a memoir. The Boys. The Boys. The boys. Yes, there you go. All right. All right, All right. Guys. Thanks, you guys. Thank great. you, guys. Bye. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Breslin. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mike. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. 
It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 